All right, we are live and in stereo. Welcome to the first, the very first episode of The Truth By Fire. I'm Kareem Prince. This is the man, the myth, the legend, my brother, my friend, confidant. He's a man of many phases, many talents, many abilities, had so much experience. It's just a blessing to be able to spend time and in all the years that you've shared your knowledge, wisdom, and expertise. You have an opportunity now, have a platform that you can be used in a mighty way to really enlighten the minds of, of people, not only uh, from you know, African-Americans, but we're talking society in the world. Uh, I think you have a message that needs to be heard. And hey, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity uh, to be here and, and, and be a brother, brother in arms. Um, and yeah, let's set this thing in motion. So truth by fire, we're going to go right into it. Uh, one of the main topics we want to discuss today is, in fact, the black family and most specifically the black man as it relates to the black woman and their relationship and how that transposes into society as a whole in the sense of family and how important that is that that structure be maintained and it's being threatened now by a society, by a culture, by a nation almost from the inside out are trying to deteriorate the things that God and his foundation has established from the very beginning. Absolutely. Well, I mean, really, if you really want to think about it, um, most people are not going to take this into consideration because the first thing they're going to do is like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't apply to me. I didn't have that experience. Well, you did have that experience. You just don't know you had it. And why, why wouldn't you know that you didn't have it? Because history is something that people really don't focus too keenly on. They don't think about history because they think history is some, you know, mythical, someone else's experience, but not mine. And there's no really direct effect on what happened in the past, which is going on with me right now. And that's a misnomer. That means it's not real. All right. That's a figment of your imagination. It is real. Now, as far as the black family goes, I'm a recipient of things that have happened in the past. And I can talk about it directly because I know what my family history is. Now, to give you an example about what we're talking about. In the early 30s and 40s, my grandmother was a woman and she had a degree in 1940, but her father was born in 1890. So he had a college education, but my grandmother got a college education at a time where black people weren't even allowed into a store. So you can't tell me that I don't know about this. My grandmother was able to get a college education because of her family being astute and having money because they were farmers and they were wealthy. So that allowed her the, the financial responsibility from her family to be able to take those necessary steps. Now, obviously, there's some other things involved with her, her family members being her father being half black and half white and having a white family uh, that supported her. But at the same time, they still had to deal with the culture and had to deal with society. So those are things that were there. And then people don't want to talk about that. So then by her getting a degree in 1940 and then my mother going to college in the early the late 50s, when you couldn't sit at a, at a counter or a restaurant or you couldn't walk into a store, and she's going to Loretta Heights where she was went to a, a Catholic high school and then ended up going to Loretta Heights of College, which ended up being merged into Denver University, which is our Ag League school. And her and my uncle Cecil went there um, before you could even sit down and before they even had the, the voting rights and the, uh, the, and the civil rights bill. Uh, these people don't realize that these people raised me. And so now I can tell you unequivocally that the black family has been destroyed from when my mother became a uh, 
educator and camera now, um, an educator and the uh, all the other things that she did, and my uncle being in business and what have you, to where we are right now. So those things have happened because people. People don't want to hear because they're afraid it's not going to fit in the narrative that they're watching on mainstream news every day. Gotcha. Well, when it comes to the understanding that your background and your family, um, obviously there's a pedigree that is exceptional, especially when you're talking about African-American woman being educated at the collegiate level and being in positions of authority, you know, in a, you know, in a, at a time where black women were, more looked at as uh, subjugated to you know society's norms, the type of roles that they played, you know whether it be in, in movies and even how they were looked upon just in society. Um, and your grandmother had an exceptional experience, and obviously your mother took on that pedigree as well. Um, very very well educated, very articulate, and given opportunities that most black women probably didn't have at the time, and she was able to utilize that to help facilitate the education of many African-American students. So she definitely was a trailblazer, both your grandmother and your mother. Now look at that compared to today's times, because when we talk about the relationship between the black man and the black woman, um, at that time, like you told me about your grandfather and who he was, oh, yeah. Mr. Well, Moore himself. Absolutely. There was a level of strength there, as powerful yeah. and as mm-hmm. educated mm-hmm. as your grandmother was. Mm-hmm. She still understood the importance of the male figure, of, of well, the husband the, and the father. The, yeah. the difference, the, the difference between right now and then is this, is that at that time, Black people were in a, they were in a situation where they were being surrounded daily. So what they what they what the narrative is was oh my god the black men were just sitting around they were afraid of all the white men and they didn't stand up and fight and do things that you wouldn't think they were doing and that's not true my grandpa was a very big person and a very strong individual he was from nebraska and he had a third grade education my grandmother and her father had over 100 miles of farmland so they were wealthy so he worked for them and he used to told her that if you don't, I'm not going to work for your family because they're treating me like uh, a worker. <laughs> there was no uh, financial, uh, there was no upward mobility for him to make more money at the family farm. They weren't going to let him have it. So he said, we're going to move out of here. We're going to Colorado. I'm going to become a plumber, which he did. He decided to do that. And he was very good at that. And uh, so, but my grandmother always knew that my grandfather was there and he was a very strong individual. And he told white people, white men, that if they mess with his daughter, which is my mother, if they mess with his son, my uncle Cecil, God bless his soul, he's in heaven, and they mess with my grandmother, that they had to deal with him. Right. And he was willing to stand up toe-to-toe with his gun and his hands, right. and white men were like, uh, we're going to back up. Right. That's not a narrative that's being talked about right now. Right. Which, how does that apply to what's going on right now? Right. It's very clear. Right now, black women are saying, we don't need black men. So now you keep saying that, but eventually there's going to come a time where that black man is going to be integral and he is becoming integral without them even recognizing it. You would say, well, how is that happening? And, and I can show you some examples here, but I don't want to do that right now. I want to say something. How is it integral? It's integral because you have black young men that are being raised in a house by their mothers and they're not as masculine as they used to be. They're not as strong. 
They haven't been through situations. And when they do, they act out emotionally. When a father's in the household, when you have a real man in the house, he keeps everything together. He's a logical individual. He can see when things are really bad and he can see they're just a skirmish and it's no big deal. And with a mother cannot do that because she's based upon her emotions. Now, a lot of women that are out there working hard, you know who you are. You're out there working hard. You're studying hard. You're putting out this extra effort. You're having to do both roles. And that is not your job. That's not fair to you. OK, so if you had a real man stepping up and doing those things, these things would get done more efficiently. Not only that, I'm not saying that women have to stay at home. My mom didn't stay at home. and Neither did my grandmother stay at home. OK, so I'm not advocating that. But what I am advocating, something that most black women need to hear, is that you need to have that man in your house. And he needs to be the focal point of your family's relationship with everything that's going on. Absolutely. Now, um, we've had some subsequent conversations in regards to this didn't happen by accident, this disintegration or fracture uh, with an African-American family. Now, this has had some, some very um, suspect, nefarious, uh, nefarious uh, diabolical roots, if absolutely. you want to absolutely. use the absolutely. word, absolutely. use it very strongly. Absolutely. Um, and you had some you know, resources that you had went to to really sort of illuminate the truth about that. In absolutely. And, and absolutely. And we'll go to that right now. Yeah. In, in the book, The New World Order, in chapter 29, it says the attack on the family. It says the definition of child abuse has basically made criminals out of every parent in America. A federally funded study sponsored by the National Institute of Mental Health and released in November of 1985 defines the victims of violence against children as being those who have slapped, <laughs> spanked, or pushed grabbed portion of their children. Mm. It would be difficult to find any parent in America that would be included in those categories. Now, let me first say some more things which you might think were pretty interesting. The broad definition of child abuse, which makes every parent into a criminal, excuse me, makes sense if the observer remembers that there are people in America today who want to destroy the family. Okay, let's stop right there for a second and we'll go back to that place. The first thing they did to the black woman back in the early 70s. And they said to her, listen, we're going to give you money if that black man's not in the house. Don't put him in here and we'll subsidize you for what he's not going to do. And they were not going to promote him. They were promoting black women to go to college. They were promoting black women to get jobs. They were promoting their, they had their two-pronged approach. Why? Because there was a black woman and she was a woman. She's black and a woman. So they could kill two birds with one stone. So they didn't want the black man. So they wanted the black man to be criminalized and to take him out of the family so they could weaken the whole structure. Now, let's go back to what we said to Stanley. The, the way for them to achieve their goal to, is to convince the world that family abuse, families abuse their children and their social workers do not. So they want the social workers to raise your kids. Okay? So that's where they're at. Then when the authorities come to take the children away from the parents of America, the overwhelming a majority of the remainder of the citizens will accept the action as being required by the conditions. What conditions are you talking about? Mm. You took the man out, so you're going to create a condition so right. that they can take the family and run it the way they want to. Let's keep on going. Oh, my goodness. All right. So and the family and the traditional family, as we has known in America for centuries, will no longer exist. So now you're seeing these things happen right now today. Okay. Well, it's amazing that, you know, you're, we're watching something that happened, we're talking decades ago, and now the reverberations of that have have made a toll, a, a costly toll on African-Americans today. 
and future generations of that kind of mentality. And, you know, now we're looking at even, you know, that the, the recent article that I'd seen and pointed out to you, you can definitely dive into it. Uh, we have an African-American woman, CEO of a major company, um, which is a, a feat in of itself it, to be respected and admired and appreciated for her to reach that kind of level. Um, obviously, it took a lot of education, dedication, uh, focus, uh, passion for what she did and a level of sacrifice. But as a wife and as a mother, the sacrifice from a point of view of what it means to be a mother, she has decided on her own and we all have the autonomy to do as we please to want to redefine that and devalue that position. If you wanted to kind of go into that article. Well, and yeah, it just says, you know, it says right here, it says, you know, we have another, we have a contending narrative. I love mm -hmm. having contending narratives. I want people to have their, their voice and, right. and to be able to express themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to sequester anyone. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and express where this is. However, this week, Ursula Burns, the first black CEO of Xerox, which <laughs> I know some things about Xerox, argued a different stance. The 63-year-old businesswoman said during an interview with CNBC Make It that moms shouldn't be expected to do all in today's society. She said, this is her quote, I would not be able to be the CEO of the, of the company unless I outsource the caring for my kids. Burns. Hold on, let's stop right there. We got we, we to stop there. The, this woman used the word outsourced. Let us elaborate on how she made it a transactional relationship between her and her children and calling mothering the very function of what it means to nurture, to establish that connection, that love, and build up that child. She referred to it as outsourcing. Well, let me say this. I got yeah, Before we go too deep in that, because I can just smash her down to the ground on that, I want to give some context. Uh, All right. My grandmother and my family, you know, they were well-to-do. And I had people that were watching over me. All right. I had maids and people, and I don't call them servants, but people that were tending to my needs. Okay. So when my mother was going to college, mm -hmm. right, she graduated college at 19 years old. She had me at 19 years old. She was she was graduated high school at six, 15 years old. So, right. I mean, okay, we had a she had a very privileged experience. She never went to public school. She went to private school. Yeah. So my grandmother was being in a position. She was running the federal government. She was doing not running the federal government, but she was you know, using the, the federal government hired her to get jobs for people and not just black people, but all colors of people. And so, uh, so you know, these my family had to have people that were going to support them. So I don't 100% disagree with what she's saying, but what the way she approached it with saying outsourcing. Right. Okay, so let's get to that. Um, having a nanny or someone that's housekeeping your house, those people, those are they're part of your family. You don't just outsource them. <laughs> there are people to come in and out. Just It doesn't work that way. It shouldn't work that way. And when you have an employee, when you employ people that have businesses, small business to medium-sized business, everybody's part of the business. And you consider it a family. When you say outsource, that's like saying we're going to outsource uh, our uh, our 1-800 lines in India. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? We really don't care if the client gets the service. We just right. give them the basic exactly. minimal attention that we right. could possibly give them right. that wording in itself yeah i mean that's just, that let's go back to that wording that in itself yeah. is atrocious right so now let's get down to let's start breaking it down in that context when women start to think that their being their position of being a mother has no intrinsic value other than just birthing them and then saying okay you figure it out for yourself right. and that their interaction is not important then yes that is a that is an atrocity now to uh -huh. her to her 
credit, I will say. Uh, later in the article, it talks about her husband. Um, well, I'll say partial credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says her, her husband, um, I'll go into it. It says this history-making businesswoman thanked her late husband, Lloyd Bean, who was a research scientist at Xerox. So hey, they worked for the same company. Research scientist, clearly an educated man, very smart. Uh, Bean retired early to become a stay-at-home dad yeah. okay and played a huge part in helping to raise their two children now is it a problem with him caring for his children no not a problem with caring for his children but obviously in today's world it seems like the roles are reversed right so back in the you know uh, barbara billingsley who beaumont tony down jerry mathers as the beaver you know father knows best what would happen father would go you know, go chomp the you go go chop off the head of the of the proverbial dragon. You know, go bring home the bacon, and, and Mama will take care of the home. Now, obviously, in today's world, you know, financially, economic times are hard. You know, the ability to have a one income family is very challenging. So both are having to work. But when it comes to this particular scenario, where this you know this amazingly smart individual, a, a loving and caring father and husband, has decided, no, I'm going to step back and be the nurturer which is not his function. Is he a teacher? Is he a protector? Is he a provider? Yes. But the true nurturer, the function of, of comes from that mother, comes from that woman. And for him to, to make that decision, of course, like we said, we all have free choice to do whatever we please. But again, the devaluing, the devaluing of that, of that black man. Well, again, we're, we're, you're we're, going to get a subjugate chief mm, to this role, mm. right? You're going to retire early and sacrifice so she can be the front runner, so she can be the main breadwinner, mm. so she can do all these things. Does it matter if a woman makes more money than a man? It's not about that. It's about function. It's about the dynamics in that household. How do those children feel watching? Well, you got a lot of things. That you yeah, let's, let's go ahead. You got, you got a lot in there, but let's, let's right. be, I'm going to be more. I'm gonna specify more. I'll be more specific about how I'm gonna approach that. Okay, that right, question right. you asked me. Mm -hmm. but what you're doing is this: if you don't address one simple fact, you're gonna have you're gonna lose the whole thing. Right. Listen, I'm not saying a woman can't be strong. My grandmother was very strong. My mother was very strong. I watched my mother at a time when black women were not being respected. And I'm I grew up in Pasadena in a very very white Anglo-Saxon community, okay, very, very, very few minorities. My mother pushed a lot of people back. I watched her go to Occidental College and then get her master's, and I saw her show her intellectual capacity, her mental acuity. I watched her push people back, which gave me confidence. But at the end of the day, when she came home, she respected my dad. There you go. My dad was the man. He was the family. Right. He was the father. He was the head honcho. And he was the HNIC. And if you don't know what that is, go look it up. I'm not going to say it on camera. <laughs> okay. But same with my grandmother. Okay. Same with my grandmother. She was a brilliant woman, but she came home to her husband, which is my grandfather, who had a third grade education. He was an HNIC too. Right. So in other words, yeah, you can go do your job. But when you get home, we know who runs this house. So now going back to this woman and her particular relationship, I don't know either one of these people. I don't know what their position was. I don't know how they came up with the decisions they made. I don't have to get into that. What I'm going to tell you is that's a form and a show of weakness to any man or any little girl or little boy that wants to be a, a woman and be a wife or a little boy that wants to be a father and a husband. Mm -hmm. And you can say to yourself, why? Because at the end of the day, there has to be power. Power, the family's based on power. And when you mean by, what do you mean by that? Women can't be powerful. They can't run the household. No, they can't. Because when that door gets kicked in, by a 300-pound big black person who's just got out of prison. I'm using because I'm a black man. 
right? You were going to tell your wife, well, baby, since you're making all the money and you're the focal point, you go to the door. You fight him back. And that's when everything becomes real. Ah, 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 save me. So back to my point from their initial. You have to have a man who's going to be the focal point, who's going to protect the house, who's going to protect the family, who's going to put himself at risk. Because what women don't want to hear, but I'm going to tell you, we're afraid too when the door gets knocked down. But there's something in us that sees our family cowering and we become heroic immediately. And we go up and we fight because we can't allow someone to take something that God has given us. Okay. Solid, solid. Now, what about the... Yeah, I'm going to play this play this little role for a second because I know it's going to be the, be the trigger point. But I want to say this. What about the woman says, oh, OK, so you're going to subjugate the differentiation of why you should have the power surely based on your physical ability. Uh, how about women who have known to do heroic acts when their child is in danger, lifting cars and things like that? So now we're we're determining the power. Power on our physical and not our mental, even the physical. If we want to go physical for physical, women have done that in the past too. So why is it that the man should be the one? Okay, the, the I, I, I'm not going to sit here and argue with any woman. Look, you can see me right now. You can see my physical body. All right, um, I am bench pressing almost 400 pounds. You're not going to do the same thing I'm going to do, and you're not going to fight me because you can't win. So now you can talk all that smack you want, but when that man is coming out of the penitentiary, he's been lifting weights all day long, and he sees you when you're in a little frail state, and he jumps on you, most likely you're going to be devastated. That's what happens. Let's be real here. Now, if you see your car run over your kid, of course, adrenaline will make you lift it up. We've seen it happen. I'm not going to deny that. And I know some women believe that they can carry a gun and shoot it. That's fine, too. I believe in that. You should have be able to protect yourself. I'm not saying don't protect yourself. But what I am saying is that is if you want real protection, you need to have a man that can protect you. Why? Because in a fight, most people have not had fistfights. Most of the kids that you see right now have not had fistfights. And most of the people you haven't had fistfights. Those are, those are things that develop your strength. And I've been in fistfights because you had to fight and stand behind your word. And that's a hard thing to do. You say something and then someone picks up the dukes and then you got to deal with it. And that's easy. It's easy right now to pick up a gun and shoot. That's what people do. They don't fight anymore. But eventually, some situation will arise where someone will attack. And if the, the, they attack you and the man's there and he can take the gun out the guy's hand. Now it's not going to be about the gun. It's going to be about who fights the best. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to be who has the most to lose. So when you have a family, you have more to lose than the person that's trying to come in and steal something. That's what people don't tell you. And that's what makes things change. Now, let's go back to the family structure, because right. this is about family structure. What do you think the military and standing for this country is all about? You're fighting for your family first. Then you're fighting for your community. Then you're fighting for your culture. And then you're fighting for the nation as a whole. So if we don't stand for the family, you're not going to stand for anything at all. Right. Now, when it comes to that topic, like you said, if we were to exclude the physical, right, protection, military, obviously, you know, if you want someone guarding at the gate, you you want that, you know, that strong man, that strong militia of men ready to sacrifice their lives, you know, ready to, you know, paint the paint the town red with their own blood to protect their own, protect their family, protect this nation, protect what we're about. Exactly. As 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 patriots of this country. Exactly. And wanting to preserve our nation. Exactly. Um, now, if we were to exclude the the physical, let's take that out and just go from the other attributes what what is the predominant reasoning would you say why the man should be the one to 
carry the strength. <clears throat> well, excluding the physical. Okay, so the, I know people don't want the house. Well, see, the bottom line is this: it it takes two aspects that people are not looking at. Okay, and they're going to be it's going to be a trigger for a lot of people, and I and I understand that. This I'm not here to placate or pander to you, so you can want to watch this program. <laughs> if you don't want to watch it, you don't believe what I'm saying. Please don't listen to it. But there's a this is a contingent narrative. Your testosterone as a man going through you makes you different than a woman. Okay, you can't just change that. Okay, that there's no there's no design. There's no synthesis. You can't synthesize this. You cannot change body parts. It literally is who you are, and the mentality behind it is going to be able to help you defend. What I think means is this: if you have another being, another man that's trying to come and take over a country. We as men understand what his position is because we have this stuff going through us as well. The only difference between someone that is family oriented and standing for the country and has a moral standard is that he was taught how to use this testosterone in a way that's going to be protective and it's going to ingratiate the family as a whole versus someone that has not had a father, doesn't have parents, and is only out there while and now as an outlaw, crazy, wants to kill everything because he wants what he wants. And those are two different individuals. And eventually there's only one space and two individuals have to get in that space. That's the difference. Where women, I'm not saying that they don't have strong minds and they're not highly intelligent. They're very intelligent people. I'm not saying that. But there comes a time where there's only one space and two individuals. And so when that comes to place and when that comes into play, that's when a man's mentality is so valuable and so needed. Now, um, I know we can take this a little deeper. Obviously, you know, both of us are, are men of faith and we want to identify. That's why I was kind of trying to trying to lead in that direction. Right. I know. Because, um, you know, because, you know, that's going to be the conversation. Well, you know, physically. OK, let's take that away. Fine. The man has testosterone. The man has it coursing through his veins. All right. Is that the reason why are we going to be, you know, we're going to go member for member? Yes. Then obviously physically. But if we exclude that, don't we have intelligence and strength? Is, you know, again, from a woman's point of view, don't we have a from the the, the 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 present day women's point of view when it comes to the position of power and strength within the household? That's all I'm just speaking from that position. Don't we have intelligence and strength and acumen and acuity and endurance? When well, we can bring a child into the world and we can endure that kind of pain so we can endure challenges and things of that nature. So why is it, you know, that a man can step into that position? When you look into the understanding from a biblical point of view, well, the biblical faith, point of view, I'm gonna, I was going to bring that last. So you, you I was going to, I was going to bring okay. that last. Okay. No, the reason why I'm going to bring that last. I'm lobbing that up too. Hey, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to slam that. Right okay. I'm going to hold back for well, a while. Keep you know, keep 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 because the reason why I want to, I want to bring God up last because that is the ultimate focal point. So we can start taking pieces away of why it's going in that direction, but eventually it's going to get to why. Why am I there and what is the purpose? And I, I'm not running from that. Let's go back to what I want to say in regards to women being smart, intelligent, and being tough. My mother was tough. My grandmother was tough. They were farm girls. So they had to go out and they had to kill animals every day. And I hear these women, oh, I'm a vegan. I don't want to talk about animals being killed. I'm a pet parent. Yeah, until you get hungry. You haven't been on the farm. So you go to the grocery store, you don't see the process of what's going on. That's death and destruction every day. You got to kill something every day. And I saw my grandmother do something, the most amazing thing, and it made me throw up. And I was living in Pasadena, California, so I was not on the farm in Kansas. And I wasn't living in Colorado going hunting every October and November. So there's a whole other mantra. And these women are tough. 
They're really tough. And when I'm talking about taking a 12-inch Bowie knife and stick it inside of an elk and cut down and take out his intestines and throw them on the ground, I was devastated. I didn't have that kind of strength. Okay, so I'm not saying that women don't have strength. But what I am saying, okay, what I am saying is that there's a hierarchy and there's a function in all that. So the man would usually hunt. The women could hunt with them too. They would go out together. But they would do different parts. If she cut out the intestines, he took the intestines out, put them in buckets. He when he rode them around the, the campground, and they were hunting for something else. And I didn't know what they were hunting for. Come to find out, they were hunting for a grizzly bear. <laughs> and when I cried and complained about what craziness that I saw going on and how I wanted to go back home, and I thought that you know they said well, I thought we had. He said you thought you were eating steak before. No, you were eating Smokey the Bear. <laughs> So they were trying to add That's to the smoking. They were adding to the that. food source. Yes, they were adding to the food source. In other words, they were eating off the land. So now if you really want to get down to that, let's get to that. Because eventually there's a possibility because we have so much technology. And obviously I got a chance to work at NASA when I was a young kid. Obviously. Um, obviously. They don't know that. Anyway, obviously. Obviously. You'll get to know. Obviously. They can hear my on. conversation. They know. They can yes, hear my yes. vernacular. They know what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, I worked at NASA. I lived in Pasadena. You know, obviously, I worked at Jet Propulsion Laboratory and I worked on the Galileo Project. Obviously, you know, we have put ourselves, we've pushed all our cards and all our chips into believing in technology and believing in science. Yeah. Um, and we think that a solar flare can't come by and knock down all our cell uh, satellites and all our based systems that we use to store data and, and images and everything else like that, and that we wouldn't be forced back into a position where we would have to be able to do things from a manual or a hydraulic standpoint, mm. okay, not digital, fly-by-wire. So in other words, all these fancy words I threw out there, if everything gets burned up and all the computer chips are burned up and the computers are making computers now, the robotics are making other products, if they're all burned up, then you would have to go back out into the land and do the very things that my parents were doing, my grandparents were doing. And so then, of course, you're going to have those kind of situations and conversations. Back to my point about the mentality behind it. Um, the one thing I saw that, that I think that you need to hear, and when we're talking about, well, can you be strong? Well, of course you can be strong. But, you know, there was one thing about I saw that in that time frame was that my grandfather and my grandmother worked together, but my grandmother was not expected to carry the major load. She was working with him. So she was basically assistant manager. My, my grandpa took the bigger load. He had to make sure he stayed up stayed up longer with the fire and kept the fire going. And when the grizzly bear was walking around the camp, he was the, at night, he was the one that stayed awake. So that, you know, he got, he, he they had shifts. So at that point, he was the one that everybody was really afraid of. They were afraid of my grandmother because she could shoot really good and she could do the, the processing of the animal. But the actual killing and, mm. and actual being the threat, he was the threat. Okay. So, you know, if you don't want to look at it from that perspective, you can do what you want. But ask your any of these people that believe that they're a woman or they believe that they're a man and they're not, they weren't biologically created that way and they want that relationship. Ask yourself, are you prepared to go up into the mountains and live off the land and really uh, take those roles on Seriously, when it comes down to a life and death matter. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, that'll definitely be a conversation for another day. In the fact that, yeah, if you brought it back to, you know, just the, the bare necessities, right? You know, Maslow's hierarchy, self-preservation first, Absolutely. survival Absolutely. first, Absolutely. right? We will, if, if you take away the computers, take all of the, the pleasantries of modern day society, 
and you shook us to the core, right. we would default back to our original yeah. default settings, you know, as men and women. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, so that would, I'm, I'm yeah. not going to cut you up, but I'm going to no, say this. This is the reason why I said this, because people are going to say, I don't believe this and I don't believe that. That's okay. You don't have to believe it. Okay. But I'm just asking simple questions. When, if you had to be in this situation, who would be the role? What role would each person take? What what position would they take? What responsibility would they take? Right. And so you, you would have to ask those kinds of questions because we're in a digital format where we don't live like that anymore. How do you know? And, and I don't want to get into the, into the depths of digital processing because I worked on some major computer systems and worked on bespoke equipment before. So I know I have knowledge about it. It's not impenetrable. It's not it's not it's not where it can't be destroyed. And so, in other words, our our society we're living in is very fragile. And so, and the people that are making these things up, what foundation are they based on? And so I'm saying these things are, these things are going to have to be questioned and they're going to have to be looked into and people are going to have to really sit down and think before they say, well, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when people get into relationships, they're not looking at it from that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, technology, we, we, we bow down, you know, as a society mm -hmm to the omnipotence of technology, right? Literally we're slave to our phones, we're slave to our iPads and iPods and everything else. You know, let that let that phone and that cellular service go off. People lose their mind. Absolutely. You know, I That's mean, even kids, to. kids sit there, they're addicted to these things. They don't okay. even have, they will, I've watched kids literally sit together <laughs> all on their own individual um, little devices. They're not, you know, they're not conversating with each other, socializing, mm -hmm. connecting, learning those social skills. Um, they're dependent upon electronics to educate them and they everyone's bound down to it is literally a, an idol if you will absolutely a technological idol i have one device supposed to be a tool that we're supposed to have dominion over instead the tool is telling us what to do right it's interesting i had seen the movie um many years ago the first the first wonder woman movie um when um the james marsden whatever the, the hero character he was a pilot you know, he, he lands in, in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle, where I guess these Amazonian women in their whole world culture, was supposed yeah. to be in their culture. was. So anyway, she saves him from his crash and whatnot. And when he awakens, what he has on him, she asks, she's like, what is that? He said, it's a watch. And he's like, well, what's a watch? Oh, it just kind of tells time. He said, oh, that thing on your wrist tells you what to do. And I was like, ooh. And that really thematically is really establishing where we are as a society. These little things, these little handheld little gadgets are directing people's lives now, you know. So if there was some, you know, MP or something like EMP, like you always talk about, um, that explodes all of these electronics. And in a moment, right in an instant, all these things are gone. Then what are we going to do? Culturally, you know, then, you all, are, then culturally, we're culturally, right at an impasse. You're at an impasse. Right. You know, this is what I want to go back to before I get to the Bible. The, the focal point is this. And this is what people really don't want to talk about. Mm. Okay. Um, what you're taught. Between the ages of one and five, you're going to determine who you are. Okay? And you don't just what they tell you in your head, but what you see, feel, touch, and sense. Those senses are telling you what your experience is going to be. After that, it's set in stone, and you're going to be who you are. All you can do is add to it. <laughs> you're not going to change it. So what I'm trying to get across is, is that, listen, the Black family was destroyed from the outset. So those kids didn't get a chance to have those experiences. I did. So when I raise my two sons and now I'm raising my daughter, I, I implore them to understand the foundation that I was raised under. God has been great to me in the sense that those kids have come out pretty damn good and I'm pretty thankful for them. 
but we'll see. <laughs> they still got life to live. But my point being is that I gave them the foundation that was given to me, that was tried and tested. Let's go back to reason why we're even having this podcast and talking about the black family. The black family, look at it right now. You don't have any fathers in the family. The black woman is carrying all the burden and she's just stressed beyond compare. The black man is just coming through having sex, having kids and not being responsible for them and not providing for them. He's not leading the black family. And the ones that are doing those things, they're so high up and they have so much money and they have so much uh, responsibility. They don't have time to mentor anybody else to teach them the very things that they're doing. So that leaves a huge space, a gulf that no one's actually filling. And that's the responsibility of black men right now to be a mentor to other men. So this would stop. Now, one other thing before we start talking about God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the power of the word of God. People are not going to always hear that and say, well, I want to deal with this. This sounds good to me. I'm not going to force you to do anything, but I can talk to you about the things that you need to talk about, which is why don't you have a black man respected, being respected in the community? Why don't you have a black man being respected in the household? Why isn't a black woman acknowledging the black man for who he really is, being the progenitor of the black family in the black community? And why is it that the black woman has to stand up and fight all the battles and be the and be the spokesperson and continue to control the narrative. That doesn't make any sense. And so as far as I'm concerned, this is not me smashing black women so much, but it's me saying, listen, black men and black women need to take a step back and look at what was going on in the past, in your history. And maybe you need to revert back to that versus these newfangled techniques that you've been told that will work, that have not done anything, and you have not bared any major fruit, mm -hmm. and it's caused a huge dissonance. And so maybe it's time for us to go back and look at what's the most important and realize those are the things that subjugated us to power and gave us the responsibility that the, the other world people, people that were in the white communities, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, all the things that they see in us now, well, that's when we were really at our zenith because we had to fight against tyranny for real hmm. uh, that's awesome i wanted to um i mean really dive into just a little just a little bit um we talk about history you know history repeats itself and if if you don't learn from it um it will repeat itself in a most negative way and i think in today's world even in educational system um you know the kids today and this generation are really taught about the history of their country the history of their people and everything if it is it's very biased and myopic and you know always agenda based in what the selected pieces of history they want to bring out in order to reinforce whatever they want to establish um in terms of understanding where you know the history of the family and uh you had brought up an article on me you can go ahead and read it um but you're talking about um the history the social history of the american family and that book by author w calhoun if you want to kind of dive into that well, I can't I got it right here. Where it says here, um, author W. Calhoun wrote a book entitled The Social History of the American Family. It was a social service textbook utilized as a vehicle to educate mm -hmm. students that the society must assume traditional responsibilities assumed originally by the family. Mr. Calhoun wrote, the view is that the higher and more obligatory relation is to society rather than to the family. The family goes back to the age of savagery while the state belongs to the age of civilization. Oh, look at that. Stop that right there. Right stop stop, stop yeah, right there. That. Stop, that. stop right there. That's, that's so, so, so now, if you think about most of the people that are liberal-minded 
Marxist thinking, um, people that believe in socialization, they believe that <laughs> the family has been spawned from savagery. Mm -hmm. so you got to think, what's savagery mean? Well, you're out there killing animals, <laughs> you're out there living off the land, right. and you're out there surviving the best way you know how. Right. But civilization has <laughs> been based on what? Oh my goodness. Right. And, and they're, they're basically saying these the civilization they're building, basing it on is what? It's well, it's an it's an intellectual process that we've sat back and had a philosophy. We come up with this idea that we think what human beings should and should not think. Right. And if until we can get the family mm -hmm. out of the way so that we can bring in socialization and teach them, well, you're part of a world environment, not just your family. Your family is not the most important thing. No, no, no. Not your mom, not your dad, not your brothers, not your sisters, not your community. No, no, it's the world. And we want to tell the whole world how to think. So then at that moment, which they're trying to tell you in this book, is that they believe that community care comes from the people in the government. The government is, knows best, not the family, not your father, not your mother, not your grandparents, not anything that you've learned before. That doesn't, it's meaningless right now because you're a modern person. Yeah, the modern. Yeah, I mean, even going on, it says the modern individual is a world citizen served by the world and home interests can no longer be supreme. But as soon as home interests. Hmm. OK, and, uh, America first. All right. God don't, forbid. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say, don't How say, dare you? Don't say that America is polarizing. First. Don't say that. That's polarizing. Why is it polarizing? You know why it's polarizing? Because it goes back to the man. If a man says America first, if a man says this is my house. Right. This is my family. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you are just, you're the most, that's thats toxic masculinity. Look at you, oh. you're scaring everybody. Man. No, what I'm doing is protecting. See, what's, it's the changing of the definitions, right. the philosophical degradation of the wording, trying to tell me that I, my presence is negative, mm -hmm. but you want me to really be feminine when I'm not feminine. Right. And why can't I be here and be masculine? Mm -hmm. How does that cause you a problem? See, what you're seeing, this was already done decades ago. This was done almost 50 years ago. They put this in place. And so these people have not had a chance to decipher, to analyze and interpret what's been said to them. And so in other words, everything's being destroyed. And the only person that's going to be able to save this country, to save the family, to save the community is the black man. Because the black man has been discarded. He was considered unvaluable. No intrinsic use for them to subjugate and build up and make into a foundation. No, we don't want it. We want a woman. Mm. We want women to have power. We don't want any men to have any power because men don't run things right. Mm -hmm. And so now the black man sitting on the sidelines saying, hey, you've thrown me away and now I'm needed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so and that gets back to the Bible in a couple minutes. Right. Trust me, right. we're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. That's a story about that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So the point is, at this moment, they're trying to show you through these things, this which going back into this story about this lady who um, who was who's running Xerox and letting you know, hey, we don't we don't really want to acknowledge black men. We don't want to acknowledge Asian men, Hispanic men. We don't want to now definitely don't want to acknowledge white men. Right. Okay, white men are considered devil even in their own households. So so yeah. you know your own white women can't stand them, and they're telling them to their faces, we don't like you. We don't like my uncle. We don't like my brother. And we probably don't even want our male sons. Right, right. Hashtag me too. Exactly. Right. So so now the only person they can't go to 
and say something effectively to you as a black man because he's gonna tell you, you know what, you know where you can take that. So, or, yeah, I mean, you have that strength, right? We're talking about, but then there's that, you know, we talk about you know, the Bible and spirituality and that connection to God. You know, we as uh, as a people have always had a, a spiritual connection. Absolutely. And um, that has always been the case, even when obviously as Africans and then as we were taken over, you know, through, through those years of slavery and enslavement, still in our most worst situations, we sang, we, we connected, we had old Negro spirituals, as they would say, Absolutely. and it allowed us to stay connected to our higher power. And when the time came that we were introduced to Christ, right. Introduced to well, let's, let's go back. Bible. Let's, let's go back to that. What you just said about Christ in the Bible and we'll get to slavery later. Basically, if you see the Coptic Bibles, the ones that came out of Egypt, you see that Jesus was brown. I'm not trying to start a race issue because it doesn't matter to me. Well, we ain't going here. We can't do this. Huh? No. That's too soon. Okay, <laughs> you can't do that right now. No, no, no. no. we're we 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 not on that tip. We we're not. We're not working on tip. But I'm just making a point exactly. that that I get tired when people say that's white Jesus and this and that. You don't even know. You're stupid, and mm -hmm. I'm calling you stupid to your face. Go look up the Coptic Bible, and you'll see for yourself. The original Bible had all 88 books in it. You mm -hmm. saw Jesus and the disciples; they were brown, right? Same question me and Kareem. Who cares? Okay, it's not about God's color. It's about what He does for the people. What He right. came to do. He came to Earth to save His creation. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, Gideon. We're going to go to the story of Gideon. Gideon was a was a son who was born by his father, but his father had him with a prostitute or he was a concubine, and his brothers in the family didn't consider him part of the family, but they needed him. <laughs> okay, to go fight. The, all the ones they had, they were all weak. So they needed Gideon. And Gideon said, hey, he showed, asked God to bring out a fleece, made the fleece out, should make it wet, and let me know it's hot. And he made it wet. He said, and when, it was, when it was wet, he said, make it dry, and it was dry. And he knew that God was with him. And he was hiding in the wine press. So God was saying, okay, it's time for you to come out of your hole, out of your shell. You've been discarded, black men. You've been discarded, Asian men. You've been discarded, Latin men. You've been discarded, white men. Okay, mm -hmm. you've been discarded, and we need you to now go and fight. Mm -hmm. And they had a fight against the Philistines, the very people that were trying to destroy God's stuff. And he was victorious. And he said, if I do this, you have to make me king. And so what a lot of times people don't want to hear the Bible because they don't understand those contexts is that, see, being put in a situation where you do not have any intrinsic power, but you have God, you have the church, you have prayer. That's what you saw the church do. The black church had the church. And even though they were being attacked by the people that hated them, the people that had a mantra that hate them, that they were trying to hold them down and keep them in a, in a Jim Crow environment, they still had the church. And black men stood strong and they were there to protect their families. Yes. So now here we are today. Okay. People are going to walk into stores. People can buy things, whatever they want. They have great jobs. Matter of fact, they're marrying all different kinds of races. But guess what they've discarded? They discarded God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Right. And they discarded the Bible. And they said, well, we don't need it anymore. Matter of fact, we don't need a strong man anymore. We don't need any of these things. But very soon, you're going to see that you do need it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you were talking about, again, the structure of the family and the discarding of the structure itself. I mean, look at, you know, we have a you know, woman even in, in was a Supreme Court level. Yes. Who even said herself, I, I don't know, what is a woman? I have no idea what that is. 
You clarify that for me. Here, didn't you have lived as a woman this whole time? A black woman. Yeah, a black woman. A black woman. <laughs> to say, I have no idea. A black woman. Let's just stop. Sorry, let's stop. Let's stop. We got to stop right there. You, you hit. You hit. You hit the nerve. So it's me. You, since you push that button, I'm gonna push it with you. You are a black woman. You are a black woman, and you don't know who you are. Are you crazy? I'm calling you out. Are you crazy? You are a black woman. All the black women that you represent heard those statements, heard them, and now you're telling, I'm, ab I'm ambiguous. I can't say the word now. Uh, ambiguous? Ambiguous, excuse me. I couldn't say it wrong. I've got somewhere in my head. My, man, my mistake, I'm still black, right? <laughs> Ebonics 101. The bottom line is you didn't want to talk specifically about what you were. And you disrespected my daughter. You disrespected my mother. You disrespected my sister. You disrespected my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my great-great-grandmother. You disrespected every black woman that's ever come before you by saying you don't know what a woman is. Mm. And for what? What agenda would you say that for? So basically, all the things that the black community fought for to get you to the place you are right now, and then when it comes time for you to speak up and say, hey, so what is a woman? Oh, I don't know what a woman is. See, these are the key moments in history that people are going to revert back to. And that's going to be their point of reference. That's why what's happening right now today is I'm saying, let's go back. <laughs> let's go back to when black people really knew who they were. Let's go back to when black people really did have a black family. And let's talk about what those family values and that structure really was. And so we can take that and then reemploy it now again. And put it to work right now so that this will substantiate the family and then allow all the wrongs to be righted. There you go. Yeah, I wanted to kind of go back into that book. Um, it really, really is powerful in regards to that. When we talk about a woman all of a sudden saying for political reasons, for staying, you know, staying middle ground, what for whatever her reasons were, were very selective in what she said in terms of backing up on the identifying. You know, you had talked about our earlier philosophical degradation and, mm -hmm. and what that actually means. Most people don't know what that means, where you have a society basically that has a language. Language establishes everything from the culture to the religion, to economics, to the politics. And when you start to change the language and redefine terminology, then you start to change everything else with it. It's a, it's a, it's a catalyst that cascades down into the society, into how we relate to one another, into the social norms. And all of a sudden you have something brand new, <laughs> right? right. Um, and enter the modern family. No right. different than the show, right? Exactly. Modern family, what is the modern family? Oh, the old school family doesn't work. It is antiquated. It is antiquities mm -hmm. in motion. And, and moving back into Arthur Calhoun's book, A Social History of the American Family, it says, but as soon as the new family, the new family, modern family, right? Consistent. Consisting as only the parents and children stood forth, society saw how many were unfit, whoa, mm -hmm. for parenthood and began to realize the need for community care. There we go, mm -hmm. that socialism. Mm -hmm. As familism of the wider sort weakens, society must assume a larger parenthood. In general, society is coming more and more to accept as a duty the task of guaranteeing, guaranteeing, wait a minute, guaranteeing, Guar guaranteeing. wholesome upbringing, upbringing for the young. 
The child passes more and more into the custody of the community experts called teachers and social workers who are qualified to perform the more complex functions. We're getting into function. Mm. Hold on, we're going right back to the Bible mm. again. Mm. Functions of parenthood in which the parents have neither the time or the knowledge to perform. Now stop right now, there. I want you to go into that because I got something I want to share on that one. But go yeah. ahead. No, no, let's go back to this go back to right here to the okay. end of it, because the end of it kills mm -hmm. me. You know, community experts called teachers and social workers who are qualified to perform the more complex functions of parenthood in which the parents have neither the time or knowledge to perform. But think about that. Time, knowledge, experts. What makes you an expert in child rearing? You have to have some children. <laughs> and you have to be able to be raised by some parents. So now all at once, they're saying that a family, a father and a mother, Grandparents that are there, family members that are there, all everybody, it takes a, a whole what village to raise a child. There you go. All those people now are invalidated. Mm -hmm. And the government comes in and says, We know better. Yeah. Oprah Winfrey, stop telling women how to be women and having kids because you haven't had any kids and you're not married. Boom. Stop. You're not an expert. You're a talking head. All right. I raised two black men and I'm raising a black daughter right now successfully both of them were grown and they're not crazy and haven't been to jail and they're not in nobody's business matter of fact they're very upstanding citizens and grew up in calabasas the whole time and everybody loves them you'll find that out on your own when you go out and investigate so i can tell you you don't know what you're talking about now back to the conversation to these people these people are telling you directly that you don't have the time or knowledge what knowledge are they talking about what's it based on who did it? Who came up with it? And show me their success. Let's look at the numbers. I want to see the matrices, but they're not there because they don't have it. Right. Because if they did have it, then they would already have it. Right. You know, it's interesting. I had um I had watching an episode of Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire, and he was talking about how um the monolith that is Disney. And their desire to continue with this, this almost uh, movement, if you will, of indoctrinating all young kids with this knowledge or this awareness of the LGBTQ community and gender and all of those other elements. And literally, I mean, he was giving, I mean, he was showing video clips of these executives, writers, producers, even corp at the corporate level saying, no, we have to infuse all of this, all of these programs with the representation from the queer community. And one of these um, executives said, I have two children that are queer. One of them is transgender and um, the other, I forget what it was, but really identifying from that place and saying, no, this is our movement here, literally to infuse this, th this doctrine into children. So, I mean, and Ben Shapiro, and I share that as a father as well, uh, the ire and, and anger of the fact that I have to come in and literally watch and vet all of these programs. I can't just let my children <laughs> watch them anymore. Um, Disney, for me, uh, growing up, hey, you know, I watched all the movies. I love them. I mean, I mean, come on. I, we grew up in this. It's Americana. It's the fabric of America. Disney is, is a form of entertainment, a source of, of, of joy and hope for a lot of people from an entertainment point of view. But now I have to go in and go, wait a minute, what are you talking about here? I mean, literally, there's a show that I watched. It literally had, it was called um, uh, Loud House. 
uh, uh, two parents, I think about five kids, one boy or something, all the rest of girls. And I, as I was walking through the living room and my kids were watching it, I look and see one of the friends of the kids had two dads, a brother and, and, and a white father. And I was like, hold on, what is this? And they looked at me, I don't know, dad. I said, now physically, is that possible? Does that function in the system of a man and a woman having a child? Can two men have a father? They said, no, dad, they can't. And I, and I want to beat them up. They're just watching TV. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to switch this show off. But that was just one example. There are other shows that I literally had to go, what is this? What are you trying to tell my children? What are you trying to infuse and indoctrinate into their minds? So when you talk about they're supposed to be, the, the society itself, community itself, supposed to be the ones that have the, the knowledge, the understanding, and the time. The, the, the time, the information. Like you said, what, what is unequivocal about what justifies or verifies that you're the one that has the abilities to be when, able when to have we, When have we ever had this? Complex no, no, levels no, 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 no. Yeah, when have we ahead. ever had this experiment work? Right. Stop. Mm -hmm. I, I worked on, I, I helped build prototypes, then I saw it mass produced. I, I know about a little bit about stuff. Now I'm asking my question, when have you produced one of these? When have you produced a society that operates this way? Now, I know about Greek mythology, and I understand about some Greek history. I know about Caligula and all the things that happened during that. Did that work? No. It, it, didn't, it just struck. And then, and then same thing happened in the Roman Empire. The pagans were there. Did that work? Okay. So now, in other words, you've had Christianity that's been going on for over 2,000 years. Has that worked? Pretty good. It's not perfect. We've had our issues with it. But family structure and patriarchy has worked. So now here you see this element coming back up again. Okay? You know what I'm saying? And the Trotskys and all these other people in the world that have come out and made these statements, these people that are atheists and believe that there shouldn't be a family structure and there shouldn't be patriarchy and everything else, going back to these pagan themes, okay, popping themselves up in a Disney program. Let me let me say this to you. I am not the person that you're going to want to talk to, but let me make it clear, okay? Your sexual orientation is your choice. Do what you want to do. Don't force it on my family. And don't try to attach your sexual orientation or the way you want to see yourself as racism and bigotry. You have no place in that ballpark. Black people can't choose what color they're going to be. And how people are going to perceive us from that standpoint. Your sexual orientation is your choice. I can't choose this. I can't change colors. Now, the only black person I've ever seen change colors, and I've been friends with the family for 31 years, is Michael Jackson changed his color because of his skin problem he had, the disease right. he had. People don't want to talk about it. About him. He had vitiligo, and so he decided just to be one color. All right, because he's an artist and he, you know, that was a very difficult thing for him. And I and I and I, I commend the family and him for being cool about it and taking the 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 just the the, the political and the media's just depiction of him as wacko jacko and all these other things. It was terrible. All right. The man was suffering. My sister has vitiligo right now, my younger sister. Yeah. And so I know how difficult it is. People are fighting that. And there's some people just coming out and saying, this is who I am. It's a very difficult process. Yeah. But in regards to that, that's, you cannot choose this. And where people perceive you, especially as a black man and your masculinity and how they feel threatened by you is no different than what we're talking about right now. Right. So do not attach yourself to that. You, Martin Luther King did not die for that. The movement was not about you at any way, shape, form, or fashion. And don't try to attach it to it. I'm even telling the black people that are LBGQTI and whatever you are. You can be who you are, you know, sexually oriented, you be who you are. Right. 
right? That doesn't mean that I think that gay people should be attacked. I don't believe that gay people should be harmed or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But do not, do not attach that to the movement. Second thing, I don't want my kids to know what you want them to know. I don't want them to live the way you want them to live, the way you think they should live. You let your kids live the way you want them to, and I'll let my kids live the way I want them to. This is my brother. We're close. We have a great relationship. But there's things he wants his kids to do that he want my, my kids might not be might, might be doing. And there's some things that my kids are going to do that I and I don't want his kids. I don't want his family influence my kids not to do it because that's individual choice. Okay. But when you're trying to make a monolithic thought process that has to be one way, it gets back to George Orwellian, 1984-ish. Yep. Big brother. Okay. We don't want that. So you can't tell us how to think and you cannot tell us how to move. Yes, absolutely. When we talk about, you know, I mean, obviously you're very passionate. I am passionate about that too, when it comes to our rights and privileges as American citizens to be able to educate our children, rights to privacy, right? And when it comes to whatever subject matters, especially when it comes to gender and identity and the structure of the family and our religious principles, we have a right to express that freely. We have a right to indoctrinate or teach or nurture our children in those ideologies and philosophies as we see fit and to be protected and, and respected mm-hmm. um, to, to hold, hold the ground, hold the line, you know, for our families. And when you have this kind of ideology that almost creeps in the door, almost like a Trojan horse, if you will, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, if exactly. you will, exactly. you know, where it appears to be something shiny and sweet and nice when in fact it's diabolical and poisonous from our point of view to be able to plant that seed that creates the, what we consider, you know, the destruction of the fracture of the family understanding the function of male and female within yeah. know, a relationship and a mother and a father and a dynamic of the, the, the family unit. Okay, well, so let's, 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 before we go there, okay, I'm gonna address those that don't agree with it. Listen, if you don't agree with it, I don't have the right to come into your house and tell you how to raise your family. Right. I don't. And I'm not professing to say, hey, you know what? You think differently than me. We're gonna come in and force feed you to listen to Christ and listen to function the way we look at it. That's not our job. You have a choice. God gives everybody a free will. He gives you, you can choose whatever you want to choose. It's up to you. But when you try to encompass and you try to you try to fracture what we have going because you don't like it, because you believe that this thought process is an old world way of thinking, then you are now attacking not just my thought process. You're not attacking my mantra. You're not attacking my foundation. You're not attacking my my feeling about how I feel about my God and the moral standards that I'm standing on. You're attacking me. As a, as a man and as an as a individual, as a person, I don't want anyone telling me how to raise my family. I take pride in raising my family. I take pride in loving my family. I take pride in standing on the fact that I took my family to church. <laughs> the mama didn't do it. I did it. Okay? That's a great thing because God called me to be that man to take my family to church. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, I don't feel like it's, you know, anyone's business about how I raise my family. Now, again, I said out of respect for someone that's LBGQTI or anyone that believes that the transgender, they have a feminist thought process and they believe that in a Marxist uh, approach and they don't believe that God should be impart, imparted to any family member, that they believe that they trust in the government and science. That's your perspective. That's your mantra. You're entitled to believe in it. What my problem is, and anybody in the world that believes in God through Jesus Christ, 
We believe that you don't have the right to force feed us your mantra either. So in other words, there has to be a respect that even though we disagree, we agree that we disagree and we agree that we should have the freedom to be able to do that. And so that gets back to our First and Second Amendments and even the 14th Amendment. And a lot of people don't want to talk about that. That's why they're angry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that anger is, is getting people to the place where they're starting to lose their mind right. because they say, well, we're never going to be able to take these guys and make them acknowledge us and as long as this constitution's involved. And we don't want to hear about Christ. Well, let me tell you something. We don't want to hear about Karl Marx either. We don't want to hear about anyone, Toski and all the rest of these people they're talking about. We don't want to hear about those either. But we tolerate you, just like you should tolerate us. And maybe in the exchange that we have with those two groups of people that don't want to hear anything, we can come to a medium and have an understanding that at least we don't agree, but we can respect the individuals that we disagree with. In other words, I respect you as a human being and as an individual to go ahead and do your thing. Right. I mean, we talk about those inalienable rights. And that's what I'm trying to say. We are as citizens by the nature of you being a part of this country, have the right to be able to express yourself freely. That's what those amendments come in for. And the constitution to reinforce those freedoms, to be able to express yourself at the same time with the respect of others. That's what right to privacy is. I have the privacy and the right to that privacy to teach, train up, nurture, educate my children, my family, the way I see fit. And yes, we all in this nation should be able to see ourselves as patriots in the sense of can we live here peacefully? Yes. Can we agree to disagree? Absolutely. Can we be Republicans and Democrats, but then still be able to learn from one another and still be able to ultimately, what, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, all of us as human beings want those inalienable rights, the privilege that we have to be an American. means something to everyone, irrespective of what side of the political pendulum or social absolutely that you absolutely. swing on. Absolutely. And the reality is that we as a country should be bonded together with one uniform thought process, one nation under God. That's the problem. Whether you believe that, 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 it or I, 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 I that's, that's the real. problem. I know. That's I know. the problem right there. Like, oh, yeah, you yeah, had me, yeah, but then yeah, you yeah, made yeah. a left. You, you, you had been right instead of left. You did everything, but you said <laughs> under God. I know. And then, then we go back. We said when they want to get God out, so right. indivisible, right? With liberty and justice, justice for, for all. all. But that's what that comes with. But it starts with the nation under God uh, it gives us the access uh, to that liberty uh, and justice. Uh, uh, right? Why do we have liberty? Why do we have liberty in Christ? Because He's right. taken away. All of the things that were against God right. from the beginning. Now we're gonna have to have that's another conversation. Yeah. We gotta break it down so you understand the depthness of what we're going at. Absolutely. And right now, this is the problem that people are having. The yeah. difficulty they're having is mm-hmm. they don't want to hear about God. Right. They don't want to know about the Black's Law Dictionary mm-hmm. and what the definition of church is. They don't want to understand that the two people that ran this dissonance, this separation from the queen, at the king at the time. Uh, and said, hey, listen, England, we're not going to abide by what you're saying anymore. What we're going to do is we're going to have two people run this. One was the general, which was General Washington, okay, who became the first president. And the second one was Benjamin Franklin, who was living in France, and he was talking to the king of France, and the king of France funded this whole new experiment called the United States of America. Mm. And so now you need to understand those two people that ran everything. They had some other people involved, but the two people that ran everything, they were Christians. And after 
George Washington put his hand on the Bible and swore his allegiance to this new experiment. They went into Trinity Church, the Congress, the Senate, the, the judiciary, and all the people that were associated with it went down to Trinity's church, 1789, and spent four hours praying to Jesus Christ, Amen. Right, that he would protect and honor and subjugate this great country. So that's without question. So now you might not believe in that God and you might not want to acknowledge him, but you cannot deny that's what happened. And that's a powerful thing. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, our first episode of the Truth by Fire podcast. But I wanted you to kind of leave some some closing remarks here. Um, you know, obviously, you know, this was a very powerful first episode for us to start with on the subject matter of the family, you know, of Black America, us being African-Americans and the relationship between the African-American woman, African-American man, the children, the family, the household, the village itself, you know, our country and what that means to us as human beings, those inalienable rights. And if you can kind of just, you know, those closing remarks, kind of just share you know, ultimately, what does it mean for you to be not only an American, but an African-American, a black man in this country, but also a patriot of this nation and a man of God? I'm glad you asked that question. Um, to me, they're synonymous in the same. I don't mm -hmm. think that they're separated in yeah. any way. Um, why? Because the one thing that really galvanized me mm -hmm. is when I left this country and I was 19 years old, I went to Frankfurt, Germany. And I was under the, the auspices that, you know, white people are ruling the world and they're subjugating all the black people down. And I'm lucky because I have the ability to go out and start this business because some people believed in, a person believed in me, a woman believed in me and sent me over to start buying cars and bringing them, importing them back into this country. And when I got over to Frankfurt, Germany, I had some white people tell me that I'm a rich American. And I saw mm. white people living in poverty. And there was all white people there pretty much there. Germany is a white country. And I was like in shock. I was in shock. I was like, oh my goodness. No one said you're black. They just said you're a rich American. And um, that was probably the definitive moment in my experience. And when I came back to America, I realized that I was afforded so many luxuries and benefits that you don't see in other countries. They might not have been racist, but they had rules and regulations that they really did. It didn't matter. It was not race. It was about class and, and, and income and education. They really were, were blocking people from having an opportunity ever to break through those barriers. And they were white people. So when I was like, here, I'm a black person, a black American, and I've been afforded all this information. I just got people calling me names in their heads. They're probably not good. They probably didn't want to work with me. But if I was talented and I had the ability, they were going to work with me regardless. So then that was a huge dichotomy. That was a huge separation. It's like you kind of pull the North Pole and the South Pole together. You can't do it. So coming back to America, it made me realize, hey, my value as a black man means something. I'm a representative for America when I leave this country. Yes. That's number one. OK, number two, really powerful statement is that being a patriot, loving your country is a great thing. There's no better country than America. Trust me. And most people that talk this smack about America have never left this country. And I'm not talking about go to Mexico or go to the Bahamas. I'm saying go to Europe. <laughs> go see Europe. Go see them. 
and find out how they're doing and go to Eastern Europe, go to Poland, go to Belarus, go to those places, right? See those people and realize how talented and blessed you are, okay? And that's what America's being sold. That's why they take athletes in basketball and these other sports and they go around the world and people love us, especially entertainment people, all right? They love us, right? They love us and we sell America, okay? So we are all patriots, whether we know that or not, okay? Number three, as being a man and as being a Christian man, a man that believes in Christ, not a man that's perfect, because I'm not your 700 club Christian. <laughs> okay. I drink, I cuss, and I have sex. <laughs> okay. So, oh, okay. So, and that's what I do. And uh, I'm not listening to everybody talk that smack. Okay. And I'm not under the Ten Commandments either. So, my point is, is that when you stand for Christ, you're standing for the country itself, you're standing for family, and you're standing for, you're standing for a greater mantra, which is the country. You want the best for this country because this country was built on the principles of Christ. And last but not least, about being a father, I am leading my sons and my daughter to have the same understanding so that they are always representing not only me and their mother, but they're representing their family as a whole and they're respecting the community as a whole. The community loves my family and my family loves the community and then the state and then the country as a whole. OK, so then all these things matter. And so instead of saying Abram saying we're going to make America great again. And so it was never great because of that. Da, da, da. And I'm like, well, where was your parents at? Do you even know what happened? Because I know what happened to my parents when they were going through it. They still didn't say America wasn't great again. They just said we have this particular problem right here and this particular issue right, right here and this particular group of people right here that need to be dealt with. Right. But the whole as a whole is great. We just got to take care of these particular problems and get them out the way. Right. Right. So that's what we need to talk about. That's what we're talking about by truth, by fire. We're going to identify those problems. We're going to rectify those problems. And we're going to get people to see past those problems. And then we, as a whole, we have something great to be very excited about, be thankful that we're a part of. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's always a pleasure to be able to sit with you and share, my brother, especially now we have this as a, as a vehicle to be able to deliver, you know, God's word, also your experience and, and, and whatever we can do, you know, collectively to be able to share the type of information that's not just for thought provoking, you know, ideas, um, but to really start to transform and eliminate people's minds to, to make different choices that's or right. have the opportunity or the choice to, I mean, if you're only given one narrative, only given one way of thinking, then you're kind of trapped in that sort of ensconced in and one myopic point of view or a worldview, if you will. But if you're able to be given uh, another approach or many different approaches, then you have the opportunity to succeed in a better way. And that's I mean, we as men of God, as patriots of this country, want the best for others to be connected to God and Christ, first of all. And on top of that, to just live, live out the lives that God has seen for them and, and, and be able to live lives, like I said, on life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and how you see fit and be able to honor that respect that for all human beings. Amen. So that being said, we appreciate uh, all those who um, have listened to this and will be listening to in the future. Uh, we're honored to represent God in Christ and as brothers and friends for over 20 years. And um, yeah, until next time, this is Truth by Fire. I'm Kareem Prince, and this is... Ron Cash. Ron Cash. We out. All right, peace.
Tudor. 